so you were away you were saying yeah i um uh, i was saying i have i haven't written in so long it feels like forever i can hardly remember how but uh, i was away in september and i guess that was the last time i was writing because i went down to oregon for a, a bit of a writing retreat and so i got to um sit you know in the room i was in had this wonderful panoramic view of the pacific ocean so you could see all the way to japan and the rollers coming in and the broad beach etc so i got to start on the next phoebe clay novel awesome. but uh that's the last time i've written i haven't had a chance since i came home and i had to run around for a week to get ready for the art crawl i know for a trip to Montreal, which was another photography trip uh, to old Montreal. And then I had a brief visit with my sister and then home and the art crawl here on the Sunshine Coast for my photography. (sighs) And now I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) And so if our listeners should clue in by now, it's Karen L. Abramson, who's with me. Photographer, author, artist, we're going to talk. We're going to have a, a good discussion. And Karen, if you see me <laughs> fidgeting around, it's not that I have ants in my pants. Just to use an old saying my mother used to say, mm-hmm. I tweaked my back a little bit yesterday, reaching for yeah. the, the puppy. So it's much better today, right? So if you've got a new dog. Yeah, yeah. He's, your old, is your old fellow still around? Or did yes. You yes, he is. Oh, okay. Um, can I say he's hell on wheels, the little guy? Yes, <laughs> puppies usually are. We love this little fella, right? Yep. So too many schnauzers. The 10-year-old Aussie mm-hmm. and him have been getting along Oh, very, that's good. Very well. Ozzy's been like a little officer Ozzy. And uh, when Pepper slipped off his leash mm-hmm. and dashed, mm-hmm. I called him because, you know, you never chase after a dog because mm-hmm. they think it's game on. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ozzy barked and mm-hmm. the little guy came running straight back to Ozzy. So oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So Karen, Karen, your books. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So. Yes. Just for the new listener, Karen writes suspenseful stories of crime and adventure and romance for readers who like to be transported to unusual locations around the world, from murder mysteries set in the heart of reimagined Russia or on the rugged coast of BC, to magical romances set in the heart of a summer beach town. Karen creates immersive worlds of fully realized characters that the readers want to root for. Hey, Karen, her work has been described as having a connection to culture with powerful characters who make an incredible story. Now, Karen's short stories can also be found in issues of Ellery Queen magazine and Black Cat Mystery magazine. And today, she's so easy to talk to. We're going to have a chat about her latest Phoebe Clay novel as she travels, our Phoebe travels to Cambodia and returns home to Canada. Phoebe, I, I, you know what? You're the third author. I've just about called you the name of the character, not Phoebe. <laughs> Karen, welcome. 
<laughs> well, it's funny because you're not alone. I think some of my uh, my friends who have read the book think of her as me, and I go, I'm never a school teacher, never. <laughs> yeah, I have done some of these things, but not investigated mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm taller, too. <laughs> okay, okay. So I checked, and the last we spoke was in 2021. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Beneath Malabar Nets. And that takes place in India. Now, you have published two more novels in this series, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. 2021. Yes. Wow. I. Uh, um, oh, I'm just trying to think of when... Uh, in Angkor Shadows came out. I think that was the spring. Yeah, it was the spring. Okay. And then the latest one, Trapped on Cedar Trails, just came out uh, September 30th. Okay. Yeah. So can we start with within Angkor Shadows? Sure. Like that's the Cambodian one, yep. Yeah. Where okay, where it's situated. What does Phoebe find herself embroiled in? Okay, well, um, it, it does take place in Cambodia, mainly in in Angkor. Uh, it starts in Phnom Penh, and uh, it starts on the ferry trip up to Angkor, which is a very memorable way to arrive at Angkor because it takes you up the Mekong River uh, and across the Tonle Sap Lake, uh, which is a huge inland lake that changes um, changes direction and so on once a year or twice a year with the uh, as the the monsoons come in and flood the Mekong River. Wow! Um, but anyway, she is going up there and she meets a young girl, a young woman, young girl, on the ferry and. Um, what she sees after they get off the ferry makes her suspect that the girl has been sold into human slavery or uh, trafficking, child trafficking, which yeah. is quite or has been quite a, an issue in Cambodia over the years. And um, so she would like to help her, isn't quite sure how to do it. And then the man uh, or a man is murdered and she's believes that the girl may be involved because of some evidence because she finds the uh, or sees the body and um but the girl has disappeared so oh. the whole book is sort of focused that that's the the thread that takes you through the whole book but there's a whole bunch of other stuff going oh. on so yeah. oh gosh all right the thing i like like your novels are always I like to say culturally rich. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not you tap in to so much with the setting. You know, um, I had read that. I can't remember now if it was your on your website or whether it was in a book review, but it said that Cambodia is world renowned for its temples, mm-hmm. made famous in Tomb Raider. Yeah. But can you tell us about the people of Angkor and what they're recovering from, which I think is much more important than being remembered from Tomb Raider. Yes. That's the unfortunate thing, you know, it's, uh, it's now becoming almost ancient history. um, When we think about all that Cambodia has been through. Um, Cambodia, I mean, yes, it has, it has this absolutely amazing history. Um, there are, are archaeologists and culture, uh, you know, historians who think that 
the uh, the famous Thai dancers, you know, with the long fingers, the temple dancers, etc. That the temple dancing tradition in Thailand and in uh, Myanmar both hair, uh, hark back to Angkor and the Khmer um, civilization that was there, but um, and. and Cambodia also had a rich history when um, they were colonized by the French. And there was a really interesting merger of the two cultures. So you still find vestiges of that in the, uh, like in Vietnam, in the Cambodian culture. But um, the thing that I think most people forget about uh, Cambodia is that between 75 and 79, um, they were taken over, or the government was overthrown by the Khmer Rouge, oh, wow. and which was an ultra, ultra conservative um, communist party. I think in some ways they probably make Chairman Mao's cultural revolution look staid oh, wow. because they basically went in and herded entire everybody out of the cities into the country to makeshift farms to work i mean it was basically slave camps anybody with any education was killed Uh, there were no doctors to be had because they were dead um, or in torture camps um so you know the 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 country went fell a long way back and all of the cultural people were also killed the the writers the dancers etc etc they were trying to purge everything and Somehow this was going to make the country better. I don't understand it, but maybe if I was Paul Fott, I would. Oh, <laughs> Later at the time. So, you know, they, they did that and they had torture camps all over. I mean, we, we've heard of the killing fields, but I don't think it really comes home until you either go to visit the killing fields over there or you go to visit some of the, the old camps that... Um, so, for instance, in Phnom Penh, there is a school that was one of their torture camps. Oh. And um, children, you know, like little kids, elementary school age kids yeah. were tortured and killed there. And, you know, anybody else that they felt, you know, men, women, children, they were tortured and then usually killed there. Um, so anyway, today, when you go back, at least for me, Cambodia had a very different feel than places like Myanmar or Thailand, where the culture and so on is still very much part of everyday life in those in those um, those countries. Whereas in in um, in Cambodia, at least to me, and I'm an outsider, I will totally admit it, but it felt <laughs> a little hollowed out. To me. So it was, it was, it was a very, to me, it was a very sad country. And yet the people were lovely. Okay. Um, I, you know, I had a marvelous time there. Uh, they were, people were very gracious, but it just didn't have that overwhelming sense of, you know, here we are. You had to go looking for that, that lovely depth of, of culture, I think. Or, or maybe you had to get out of the more touristed areas much farther than I had the chance to. But. Okay. And that's why your books, I've just learned so much. Like I've exactly what you said. I've heard of the killing fields, but I had no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea. Whoa. It's, okay. 
it's it's pretty horrendous what that country went through and i don't think that there's anywhere in the country that hasn't been through it jeez jeez and it's interesting because you're talking i'm reaching i'm reaching i'm researching the icc the international criminal court Mm -hmm. and you said it was 75 79 was that Yeah. yeah and they were they wasn't even around like it you they know did do a, a, a follow-up i mean they have had courts over there for a number yeah. of years through um, partnerships with the cambodian judiciary and and judges from the world court i think okay um and uh, so they have been holding tribunals but i'm not too sure that they found anybody particularly senior okay so, yeah okay yeah. okay now phoebe Mm-hmm. Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe. She is alone now because she and her sister, Becca, they had this very emotional and 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 difficult and heart-wrenching argument at the end of Beneath Malibor Nets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to give it away why. Thinking of listeners who may not have read Beneath Malibor Nets yet. So how are Phoebe and Becca doing? Um, like I know, I know this is a murder mystery, yeah. but I keep wanting to ask, how are the sisters? And this is a this is a compliment to your character development. How are the sisters doing? At this point, they're not really talking. At the at the point of of Malabarnets, they're not really talking, and I think Phoebe is really dealing with hurt and bitterness about how things ended in and uh, and grieving very much grieving for her family um, in in this book so yeah well the, the other thing i like is you know i have sisters and there may be times when you disagree you mm-hmm. know you disagree on things and i find it just in writing it adds that conflict and like me as the reader i'm i'm thinking how are they doing <laughs> you know like it it just it adds i think an extra layer for the reader you know yeah. so yeah 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 that's why i really it was it was tougher writing this book than the other ones because i didn't have that relationship to play with all i had was was phoebe's thoughts about the relationship and and her self-questioning like am i doing exactly what becca always says i do yeah yeah (laughs) good one i didn't even think about that okay yeah yeah so it was uh it was different that way, writing this book than uh, writing uh, Beneath Malabarnets or having her and her niece together in uh, in the the first one through Dark Water. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So since we're talking about Cambodia, I would really like to read just the opening paragraph. And now, do you pronounce this Mekong River? Mekong, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mekong, yeah. Oh, wow. Folks, just sit back, have a coffee, you know, throw some Baileys in your hot chocolate and just like imagine this. Along the Mekong River, the overloaded barges chugged black smoke into the crystal blue sky. Their gunnels mere feet above the river's sullen surface. 
Last night's rain had cleared the yellow haze, and so far, the morning was still relatively cool, not sweltering heat that made sweat spring out on skin the moment you stepped from an air-conditioned room. I could see that. I could see that. Can you give our listeners a snapshot um, of the the landscape of Cambodia or about this river or how this paragraph came came to fruition? Um, well, the, the paragraph is, is really from my own experience of standing yeah. by the Mekong River because it's... Uh, it's an amazing place. And I, I can tell you, there are times when it looks like the water is just inches from the gunnels of the of the boats that are going along there. They're so overloaded. So you just sort of go, oh, my God. But they do it. it it's it's very interesting place. There's a lot of Vietnamese boat people who live there um, on their boats. Um, you've got the commercial traffic up and down. Um, I mentioned the Tonle Sap Lake, which is connected closely connected to the Mekong River and dependent upon it um, which is a huge source of food in Cambodia but it's also an ecological disaster um, both now because of the introduction well overfishing and the introduction of uh, uh, water hyacinth okay Um, so it look which is absolutely beautiful looking but it strangles out any freshwater lake that or you know, channel or anything like that, that it's in. Um, And you'll find acres and acres of it covering portions of the lake. Uh, But probably the bigger threat is the threat to dam the Mekong River, which are plans, I believe, by the Chinese and some of the other governments in Southeast Asia, because it goes through many different countries. Um, And if they do, um, it's quite possibly going to impact the, the flooding that I just mentioned, um, which will impact the the whole envi- uh, ecology of that lake because it's supposed to flood yeah. every every year and flood huge, huge miles of it. I mean, it's just amazing to go in there because you have all the rice fields are underwater and people are boating all over these rice fields and little towns are on little bumps or houses are on bumps in the middle of the lake. And, you know, it's, so it's, it's just like being in uh, at one point I was on a boat going through a forested area and some of the trees were dead, but a lot were still alive. And I was sitting up on the upper roof of this boat while other people were downstairs. So I was getting a sunburn. They weren't, Yeah, but you're floating along and there's butterflies all around you or there's birds, you know, cormorants and pelicans and ibises, and not ibises, uh, can't think of egrets, um, sitting up in all of these treetops. And oh so, so it's just an amazing, amazing environment. Um, but, you know, thinking about going back to your original question, um, it's a place that is uh, hot, humid. Yeah. Depending on when you're there, rainy, okay. or can be if you're there during the monsoon season. But it's marvelous. It's funny. I mean, we had a blast seeing how many monks you could get on a motorcycle. That, <laughs> that would be thing. And other times we'd look and there would be somebody would have a, a 
a, a metal grill strung across the back of their their motorcycle and they'd have pigs hung upside down still alive yeah. on either side of the back wheel and they're driving down to market wow you know so i mean i we saw everything from a complete general store on a motorcycle yeah. to, <laughs> to pigs to you know seven or eight monks on a on a motorcycle Jeez. and uh, so you know it's but it also has this so so there's humor but there's also the the tragedy the beauty yeah. the picturesqueness um so there's just so much so many layers um you know there was a a point where we went to a a place where they made shadow puppets and they were made by orphans and mm -hmm. uh, the hardest thing was that i mean all of the the shadow puppets were only like five dollars and you had to pick one and you knew that child would get money from that but none of the others would oh. and so it was just heartbreaking to try and pick he wanted to buy something from everybody so that they could all have some some was, money you know i, I was gonna so say yeah by 10 yeah. or 12 or 20 shadow puppets <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Exactly. So there were many, many times like that, that you just wanted to reach out and hug people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was, oh. it was uh, so it's a, a very interesting country. Uh, um, but I highly suggest if anybody goes over there, don't just go to Angkor. And okay. don't just stay in a big fancy hotel, stay in a guest house, get out and walk and yeah. meet people. Yeah. 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 I felt really safe there. Okay. Yeah, safe, except that you have to be careful of the landmines when you're in in Angkor. Oh, wow, oh, wow. <laughs> There's specific areas where you're supposed to stay because during the Khmer Rouge, they put m mines all over the place. Jeez, gee, so, I'm just blown. Oh God, I, I'm not going to say I'm blown away. That I'm just. <laughs> what, <laughs> I am just amazed, amazed. At, that's why i enjoy interviewing you because i'm like i said I, I forget my questions i'm just like okay okay and i get closer and closer to the screen <laughs> okay so okay so phoebe mm -hmm. in that last novel i was listening to our last podcast and i thought phoebe was being self-destructive at the last novel and you had mentioned that she was trying to make up for not being able to do more when the school shooting had happened a few books back. So I was wondering, is Phoebe any closer to having peace of mind? Like that, this character development, this arc. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I can see where it's going. And uh, after writing um, Trapped on Cedar Trails, um, I see her gradually going through the healing process okay. um i mean she still has ptsd and the thing that you have to realize about phoebe is she is a runner in her you know i mean there's two types of people in the well there's three types of people in the world there's in an emergency there are those who are who freeze yeah. there are those who run away and there are those who run in and she okay. is a runner in her and i think okay. part of that is as a teacher you have to intervene for your students yeah and so she cares about other people and she she believes very strongly that if we don't try and help who will yeah yeah so um 
she's she's just that kind of gal i i, I like her good good yeah. okay so you <laughs> mentioned probably why i've been able to write five books with her or four books with her so is that the present count now six yeah, five six it's four. four it's four now it's four okay books. yeah yeah so you mentioned trapped in cedar trails mm-hmm. the, the fourth book and yeah. it's neat to go from cambodia to vancouver Okay. And I didn't even suffer jet lag. Hey, (laughs) so that's the way to do it. (laughs) What is Phoebe up against now that she's back? She's back on Canadian soil. Well, um, she's back. Um, There is some healing with her family that's taken place. And so she has been asked to, um, help chaperone they um her niece's photography course up in bella vista and so um she agrees to go because they're suffering from a heat dome where she lives Uh, for those of you who don't know what a heat dome is uh it is just a basically a, a temperature inversion where it is hot 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 still 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 and sweltering and for people who live in a temperate area like the pacific northwest a heat dome is like death itself (laughs) really really terrible because we have no air conditioning it's unheard of in this part of the world although it's becoming more heard of given the past few summers we've had but um, anyway to escape she agrees to go to bella vista because that's usually an area uh, that's an area that traditionally gets a lot of rain and cooler, more temperate weather, and it's right by the ocean. Okay. So anyway, okay. so that's the inciting thing that takes them out there. Okay. But it doesn't just turn out like that. No. She's, no. <laughs> her, her niece keeps saying, you know, I'm really thinking we're like the, the reruns of that old murder she wrote series <laughs> why would you ever be friends with her when people always die or die. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh so yeah. when it come when it came to writing trapped mm-hmm. on cedar trails mm-hmm. or any of the novels uh did you have any idea let's say when you're working on rewrites rewrites for within anchor shadows mm-hmm. what the next book would be and start making notes um no no okay. Uh, none, none of the earlier ones I did. Um, yeah. Although maybe, maybe I came up with the idea of what the next one would be just right as I'm finishing off the yeah. book. Um, and that's actually happened with this one too. I mean, the book I've started yeah. um, really grew organically uh, out of Cedar Trails, but I finished reading, finished writing it, sent it to my first reader. And after I had read it over, you know, uh, myself and done whatever changes I thought were necessary. And I thought it's the next book has got to be X. And that was the first things that that my first reader said to me is the next book has got to do this. Yeah. So it's just, you know, her character development has taken me in that direction. And so I'm not sure whether it's going to end the series or move it in a totally different direction. I, I've been trying with Phoebe for a couple of books now to give her some love interest. Yeah. You know? It's and not working. Me, me, but it's just not working out. 
<laughs> oh dear. Oh, poor Phoebe. <laughs> so yes, I'm just not in one of those romantic frames of mind. But yeah. Yeah. COVID hasn't exactly been. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so the next one, um, we'll see what happens with it. But uh I know I've started it. I'm about 15 20,000 words in but oh, I know wow. that I've done some things that I'm not entirely happy with so I I want to stop and sort of think about it again before I take another leap at it and, okay okay so you're you're at that I don't want to say that type of writer you're okay you stop and rethinking where I know with me if I start that blissful I could say blissful first draft it's mm -hmm. like Heavy foot on the gas. Let's mm -hmm. go. Right. I usually do that. But this yeah. one, this is a different, I mean, I'm a panster. And yeah. so I just go. But this one just isn't feeling right. And I okay. know there's so much I want to do in this book. Yeah. So I I've slowed myself down to say, okay, are you, do you really see where you're going to be able to achieve what it is you want to achieve with this book, the way it's going right now? And I just don't think I've quite captured it yet so i'm gonna go back and take another stab at it yeah. okay and and before i get fifty thousand words in yeah yeah a lot Good. easier to throw things out right now although i've certainly done the you know fifty thousand words or even finished the book and said well okay i'll throw that draft out oh i've done that i've got one book uh in a different series in a uh an urban fantasy i wrote that first book maybe four times oh my god before wow. i released it into the world yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know sometimes it just i mean there are writers i know who say kill me now because oh. <laughs> once i've written it it's done yeah you know? But, yeah, but I I am capable of sitting down and going through it and and saying no, I just haven't accomplished got it the way I want it to be. Yeah, and this this stopping short part way through, um, I've done that. Uh, one other novel I I've had where I I had to do that. I'd start writing and I get you know fifteen thousand words in or so, and I go nope, this isn't it. And I yeah. started it three or four times, and then finally, I had it, and I just it just went then. Okay, but so yeah. well, it's interesting. We're we're kind of getting off the program here, but that's okay. Where writers, how writers create a book, mm -hmm. and I don't think even an writer, I know for myself, every book has been a different experience, mm -hmm. and. Um, right now you know it hit me the other day i'm just about ready to send spy girls to my ed editor like this is first time she'll see it right mm -hmm. i feel like it's at a point where i'm okay to release it to her um but where and how it ends it's now triggering the next book Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me one day when I was out walking the dogs, okay, you've got a week before NaNoWriMo starts. Mm -hmm. Start start doing some research. Start mm -hmm. start thinking about, you know, this next month. Let's let's start like get the gears going and to start ans asking those what if questions. So for me with I could I I don't I could never 
pump out 50,000 words. Mm -hmm. But with NaNoWriMo, my goal has always been, okay, try to get 100 pages. All right. Mm -hmm. And and whether that's a really, like that, that's really scant, you know, whether it's more of an outline or more with some chapters in it. Okay. One other thing I've got to share is it was Eileen Cook. She shared this because she's my mentor in the writer studio. And she said that Elizabeth George supposedly writes 30 page outlines for each chapter. Mm -hmm. And it was, I depends on the style of writer you are. I, uh, I, I know I, I have friends, uh, my mentor being one of them, and yeah. uh, uh, our close mutual friend, Marcel Dubay, yeah. who, if, you, if they were forced to sit down and do a structured outline like that, they would say I would, they would never write the book because no. they would have written the book through the outline process. Yeah. When I first started writing novels, a, a lot of novels, I would sit down and I had a, a page... A page sheet for each scene okay and, and uh you know and it would sort of it would go you know um what is the thing that i'm trying to achieve in this scene who's in the scene what's the situation when it opens what the situation and when it closes and it would just be a really nice sort of eh, okay here's you know here's what you're working on now and i could go along with that and the nice thing was is then you could go and you could take the scenes and move them around if you wanted to you had a Scrivener program. Um, that's just not the way I write. No. I I sit down and I just start to write. And uh, but I I did the um, the outlining for quite a while, and I always found that I'd get maybe half the way into the book, and the characters in the book would just take off, and I didn't need the structure that that uh, the structure of the outline anymore. I just kept going and. Uh, I thought it went better because then the the characters were reacting more organically as opposed to it being the characters moving things around, Yeah, which is sort of what I'm dealing with right now with this first book. I'm feeling like I'm moving the characters around as opposed to it just being something that comes naturally out of them. Yeah. 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 Interesting. It just, you know, how we work because, Part of me is like, okay, if I if I can't think of any more what if, then I start thinking, okay, look at your characters. What mm-hmm. which who are the characters? Who are the people? You know, when when Jade lands in Holland, what is she going to walk into? You know, who is she going to see? Right. So yeah, yeah. It, it, let's. I think it's so cool. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and I think you know, hearkening back to that scene about the you know the conflict between. Phoebe and, and Becca in Beneath Malabarnets, I think the thing that made that scene so powerful is they were both right. Yeah. They were both right. And, yeah. you know, and it's heartbreaking that they, they're both right and they can't be, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I find those are like the, I don't want to say the worst arguments, but those are the arguments where you're almost like, up against a wall because like you said they are both right so now yeah. how do you how do you uh, yeah you know it yeah. yeah yeah okay so the two novels since we're talking about two novels here um 
no two novels are alike when it comes to the writing. Uh, we, we've we've been um, you know talking about this, and the other thing I also remember when we talked about Beneath Malabarnets was that it was situated in India, mm-hmm. and Phoebe couldn't go to the police. Mm-hmm. Immediately, you have external conflict. So, was there anything different, easier, or more different, or more difficult? when it came to writing within Angkor's shadows and trapped in cedar trails? Um, well, the, as I've mentioned previously, the the thing with uh, the um, Angkor story, with uh, Angkor's shadow, shadows, the fact that Phoebe was alone made it more difficult, yeah. uh, both for her and for, for me as the writer, because she didn't have that those people to play off of all the time. Um, so you find secondary characters that you can do something with, but it's not the same as having that that more in-depth relationship piece. Um, so Trapped on Cedar Trails was um, was easier to write in some ways because they were both there, but it was also um, challenging because I didn't want to fall take them right back to the same traps that they were falling into in earlier books yeah and um so uh, again finding ways that to sh- for them to grow up a little in terms of their relationship with each, with each other I mean heck they're sisters yeah what can you say yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. always potential for for conflict yeah but um for them to to find a way to um to work together to address what's going on around them um in a way that they can both be accepting of it and still work towards a resolution yeah wow Wow. that's that's uh, that's that was that was challenging yeah that's a great answer that's a really good answer because i'm thinking that yeah, you know, after the end of uh, uh, Beneath Malabar Nets, when they come back together, it's they're going to be slightly different, right? Like, because mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. happened, right? Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. So exactly that. we got to talk about the anthology, which Sisters in Crime, Canada West, just published. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's titled Crime Wave, Women of a Certain Age. You were one of the editors on that anthology, as well as a story contributor. There is a tremendous amount of work involved in publishing an, an anthology. Can mm-hmm. you tell the listeners about it, about that anthology, which I I love that, Women of a Certain Age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a a Lord Byron quote, if I remember correctly. Um, And, um, you know, it doesn't really define what a woman of a certain age is. And I think that's the nice thing about the title is really it allowed our authors to all define what their thinking is is of a a woman of a certain age. And I think a lot of them thought of older women, but a lot, but there were some exceptions to that as well. Um, and it really, to me, um, was wonderful reading it because it really started to capture the the 
different ways that women find power in our society. And let's face it, <laughs> or the impact of trying to find power in yeah. our society. I mean, not all the, the stories in the in the anthology range the gamut from humorous and fun to dark and serious um, to you know, I mean, so there's some where you're laughing out loud and there's some where you're going, okay, I don't want to read this with the lights out, I think. Awesome. Um, yeah, you know, so, I mean, I, I I tend to write darker. So I think my story is one of the darker ones in there. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I think, I mean, I wasn't the only editor. There were three editors for the anthology, uh, Jane Bernard, Liz Baths, and myself. And, uh, um, I think the authors did a spectacular job and we just had the fun job of trying to help them sculpt their stories a little bit to make them better. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I had the, uh, the fun of working with, uh, a, a first time author or at least first time published author. And uh, so that was that was absolutely wonderful watching watching her sort of pick up on what the editorial process was about and so on. So yeah, it was great. Lots that's that's really special. Yeah, that yeah, first that, that, was. that first publication. Oh. Yep. yep. And okay. we also had some some junior editors, as you well know, or yeah. editors in training, so that uh, hopefully uh, future future anthologies because this was our set the uh, uh sisters in crime canada west second anthology um so hopefully there will be some new blood who will step up and be involved with publishing future anthologies well that's good to hear future yeah. ones <laughs> so you also you know you were mentioning about time to write <laughs> well editing this anthology you did the cover design which mm -hmm it's awesome. Like it just grabs you, like you stop and it, it grabs you. Now people ask me, where do I find the time to do things? And thank you, by the way, for reminding me about our podcast. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for doing that. I, I admit listeners, Karen emailed me and I thought, oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So what I'm wondering is how do you find the time, Karen and right? Well, it's been really hard over the last year. Um, you know, it's one of these things that the first anthology was uh, um, shorter. Yeah. So it didn't take as long to to do the editing on it. Yeah. And um, I don't know, this one just was, seemed to be, I guess, because we tried as a chapter to be much more proactive in promotion and all of this sort of thing. So it was a gift that just didn't quit giving. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, so I think that the chair of the committee and I will both be really are, are both really happy that it's now fledged and is out in the world and has been released. Yeah. Um, I'm really when it comes to my writing, I'm really um, regimented. Yeah. But I usually get up in the morning and I'll go swim or I'll go for a walk and I come home and that's my writing time. And I'll write until generally close to noon. So, you know, an hour at least, but generally close to noon. And then I will turn around and do whatever else needs doing. And right now I have a because of all of the stuff I've been doing this year, I have a 
uh, list of publishing related stuff that's as long as my arm. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to sweat it. I'm just going to say, okay, what can I do now? And just sort of pick things off. Years ago, I took a time, uh, a time text course. I think it was time text. It was called, it was a time management course. Okay. And this was when I was a newly minted manager in government many, many years ago. And I have used that process ever since where you, so if you don't do it the night before in the morning, you sit down, you look at your list of things to do and you say, okay, I can fit this in here and, and I might not finish this, but I can get a start on it today. And, yeah. and, and I've always been pretty good that way. Even in university, I was one of these people that they give the assignments at the first week of the year. And I actually started yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to waiting to two weeks before they were due. Yeah. Okay you know so or for instance like today you know I'll if I have I start my morning I usually I get up between 6 45 and 7 15 mm -hmm. and uh that's where you know the dogs are fed we go for a walk and uh when I come back I will try it, it depends. I will try to do my own writing first thing, like you said, whether it's an hour or whether it's till lunchtime. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then if I have, um, I gotta say, if I have homework, then it's like, okay, kick over, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I need to kick over now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, you know, or else if you have, I find I have time, let's say around lunchtime, you know, before our podcast recording, mm -hmm. I then uh, renewed my membership to Sisters in Crime National, you know, mm -hmm. and I was looking at when I need to renew for our own local chapter, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, and doing BFs and stuff like that, which, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's, those are some old work practices yeah, kicking in. It it truly, I, I think the biggest thing that, that too many newer writers forget is if you really want to be a writer, you need to honor that yeah. and not treat it and not allow other people to treat it as a hobby. Yeah. Um, you, if you are serious about your writing, you're serious about your writing. And I always treated it as a, uh, my second and my preferred job. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I was fortunate in that I worked for myself. So I could just schedule things that I'm doing this first thing in the morning. And if I had to go to Vancouver for meetings or whatever, I'd do my writing on the ferry yeah. and, um, and then have my meetings. And then I would do more writing on the way home. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was fortunate that way. If you have a day job, it's a little more difficult, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But I've always treated my, my writing as, as, as work. Yeah. Until I actually I I did that until it became unhealthy for me, and now I try and treat it as my fun. Yeah, you gotta allow yourself to have some fun every day, Karen. So yeah, or just I find step away, and it's funny how by stepping away from the desk, something will just hit you. I've oh. <laughs> we've been cleaning stuff out, and I gotta admit how many times I've solved story problems by going to the local dump. <laughs> <laughs> not glamorous but hey yeah, that, yeah. walks are good drive yeah. long drives all of those sorts of things are yeah something where the mind 
the subconscious can just start rolling over and and coming up with its ideas my problem with this story is that my head's been so full with things like the art crawl and getting out everything all my images matted and mounted and so on and ready to go i haven't had a chance to think about my book um in it's a uh, it's a month now i would say a month so okay yeah yeah okay yeah, it'll be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to it. I just yeah. haven't quite. Uh, now I'm just trying to move all the stuff from the art crawl into my house and find a place for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Karen, anything you'd like to add that we haven't covered? No, I don't think so. Other than thank you for having me here today. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I hope... Uh, Somebody is in or is is intrigued enough to take a look at the the books, the Phoebe Clay books, and I I write them. I should say I write the Phoebe Clay books. I write all my mysteries under K. L. Abrahamson, right. not Karen L. Abrahamson. Yeah, and and what I will do is I always like getting the author's website on there on the oh, show notes, yeah. mm-hmm. and. Uh, after the recording, I will put the best link um, for the anthology in the okay. show notes as well. Hey? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, Karen, I think we're done. All right. Thanks so much, Joanna. I really appreciate it. And thank you to uh, the people who are listening to the podcast.